Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that features two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Lisa Unger, the New York Times and internationally best-selling author of 20 novels, including her newest release, Secluded Cabin Sleep Six, and Rick Mofina, a former journalist turned author who has written more than 30 crime fiction thrillers, including his recently released book, Everything She Feared. Listen in on the discussion between these two prolific crime novelists, and you might even learn about who carries the gene for violence. Inspiration starts now. Good to talk to you, Lisa. How are you? I'm great, Rick. Thanks for inviting me. I almost had to cancel um, our chat today because I'm like so... I'm so deep into this really oh, awesome oh. book that I'm reading, uh, Everything She Feared. I forget we're not on video, but I'm like such a good author. I have my... Uh, well, <laughs> well, on that <laughs> note, I had just finished. <laughs> I, look, and they're, they're even color coordinated, which yes, I think... Uh, to really most listeners, we're holding up our newest books to each other. <laughs> Everything yes. She Feared by uh, Rick Lafina. Secluded Sleep Six by Lisa Unger. <laughs> and this comes out, uh, do I, I want to say April 11th in the U.S.? Yes. Yes. Yes, April 11th. So. All right. Congratulations. Yeah, and I was thinking, too, that it really does, that there is a lot of theme. There are a lot of um, common themes in Secluded Cabin Sleep Six and in this book. I mean, it's something I know you dive into in your work a lot. and something that, you know, is definitely a theme that runs through my novels as well as like that idea of nature versus nurture, you know, what makes us who we are. It's such a fascinating question for me. Well, I, I agree. I think uh, family history, family secrets. Um, I think uh, most of us want to know from whence we came and, and maybe when we get a, a hint of it, maybe we really don't want to know from whence we came. So, but yeah, I think, there are a lot of parallel themes in our in our recent stories. So um, yeah, I mean yeah. that was the DNA piece was you know it's something that I've been like sort of semi obsessed with for a while, and um, you know that is usually the way it works for me. Like I have a topic that I'm obsessed with, and then it just kind of winds it winds itself like winds up working itself into a novel. And so for me, you know, like I've been like sort of deep diving into DNA testing, and you know some of the bigger you know, um, places where people are searching out their long lost family and relatives like Ancestry.com and 23andMe. And, uh, you know, I think that that's true. Like, I think at a certain age, especially you start to ask questions about your history and where you came from, or maybe you're, you're disconnected from your own family for some reason. And, um, and so you kind of seek out information from these places. But I think what was maybe the most interesting thing in my research was that like the, if you do it, if you start digging, the chances are high that you're going to find out something that surprises, <laughs> that surprises you. Yeah. yeah. And once you know it, you can't unknow it. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I'm nodding because, you know, um, uh, I used a little bit of DNA in uh, everything she feared um, for another reason, because uh, I don't want to give too much away. But um, I was always, uh, as a crime reporter, I always, a former crime reporter, I always wondered about the children of those who committed evil acts. And going back throughout history, um, read, did a lot of research and read some very interesting books on um, the children of uh, Nazis, uh, mm. Nazi leaders, and how they reconciled the past. Yeah. And I also started, you know, the questions of um, infamous people in uh, in criminal history who had children. Um, some real cases. I got playing around with that. Uh, there were a couple of cases, Canadian cases, where someone who was linked to a very, very uh, uh, serious evil crime. Mm. Uh, was able to work a deal and get out relatively early and start a new life mm. with, and that those were the seeds that were planted. All of these, all of these things came together, and it yeah. was more of a bad seed trope as well. I thought, 
I'll play around with a lot of these things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I found it fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there there is a, you know, in, in research for another book I did, um, I, I wrote uh, In the Blood, this was this many years ago, it was sort of a similar um, a similar theme, but, you know, uh, discovered during the time that, you know, there actually is a gene for violence. It's the knock, the knockout gene. And it, um, it's a male, it's a male gene for, for violence and passed down from, from father to son. Although there, there's also a, a female variant, but it, it doesn't have as much, it doesn't seem to have as much impact. And, um, but what I, you know, what I found so interesting about that particular piece is that, you know, yes, there's this gene for violence and it's basically about, you know, it's basically about brain chemicals, right? Like, so if you or I get angry, I mean, assuming, assuming you don't have a rage issue, assuming that I don't have a rage issue, who knows? Well, if I don't get that parking spot. Yeah. We don't know. So, um, the, you know, the chemicals that we, you know, we have an internal self-talk that releases chemicals in our brain when we're angry and, you know, allows us to calm ourselves down. People with this genetic gene for violence, with this gene for violence, don't have the same switches for brain chemicals and instead of getting less angry as time goes on they can become more angry ever more angry and violent but what was interesting to me was that um the presence of this gene doesn't mean very much like if you just have the if you just have the gene it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a violent person but if it is then combined with trauma or even head injury in early childhood that can be the combination that um, is, you know, dangerous in a situation of high emotion. Wow, it's just fascinating uh, when you when you really delve into things like this. Um, in this particular case, when I when I launched into um, everything she feared, um, I'm not giving too much away, I don't think, but um, I wanted to present to one of the characters. Um, and bring them onto the stage. And it was my editor who suggested, you know, I have a, I have a reporter character who's looking into documents and researching. So, well, you can portray the character um, that way. You don't have to actually bring them on the stage. For the reader can discover the character the same way the protagonist is, or the or yeah. one of the protagonists is uh, coming to life through these documents. And I, and the lights just went on for me. I was thrilled because I had done that uh, professionally, and. Um, and as you, you may or may not know, um, well, I'm sure you do, but when you are pouring through documents like Freedom of Information Act documents at all levels, and there, many countries have similar legislation, so for the sake of this discussion, we'll just call it Freedom of Information legislation, municipal level, county level, state level, provincial level, federal, national level. Um, and then when you look at court documents and transcripts and maybe police reports, um, they're dry, they're bureaucratic, but... Yes. Uh, as I was telling people, it's like panning for gold when you really start sifting through there. And even when they're redacted uh, many times as they are, um, you will find a story. And, I, and that's what I tried to do in a dramatic way and tried to present some of the documents and make them sound and read like the real thing. So it was fun going on the research hunt um, to find specific types of documents to give them the right tone. I wanted the right voice. And... Um, uh, some readers actually like that. They said it was a little different. It's like using letters in journals, but uh, oh yeah, I like that. I love that a, a lot about the book. I'm not totally done with it, which is good because I don't want to give anything away anyway. But like, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Like, it's very. I mean, I think that I, I think that too. You know, in this moment, you know, especially a, a certain you know crowd of us, we're very into these types of shows and. Um, you know, the podcasts and blogs and, you know, all the different, you know, we're all, most authors of crime fiction, of course, we're, we're news junkies, we're research junkies, you know, we're always like diving deep and like trying to get underneath whatever story we're, you know, has been an inspiration to us and stuff. So I personally really enjoy that. And I, you know, I'm sure your readers will as well, like, cause I think it gives a, you know, it gives this kind of, um, you just like, you know, like you say, it's like it, you know, there's like, you can find the story in the subtext of the, of the actual like sort of, you know, documents. And I think that's like an exciting thing, like a detect, it makes a reader feel like a detective, which I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like to, I like doing that, um, you know, some many years ago, and I thought maybe the readers would enjoy going along for that ride. 
But I have to say, in Secluded Cabin Sleep Six, which I enjoyed, I thought that was a, what a cool concept. I don't want to give it away, but <laughs> such a very, very cool concept, Lisa, really. And I have to say, um, I, I'm going to do this, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, but the one chapter that just you just grabbed me was when you introduced Mark, the first one, the first time he's the, as a little boy, and I mm. still not anything away that was so well done just so Thank beautiful you. i stopped and told my wife i said she's got me here <laughs> That's, oh. that was so good so oh, good. thank I'm, you yeah uh, he was definitely was one of my favorite like you know he was like for me it's always like you know um like i was saying like the research you know the thing that you know i'm obsessed with and then if it connects with something bigger that's going on for me then i start to hear a voice those are the voices that I follow through the manuscript. And so Hannah was a big, yes, you know, I liked she, was a, she was an important voice for me, but also of course, so was Henry, you know, like he, his story was, you know, even though like, I think initially, like, you know, it doesn't seem like they have anything to do with one another, you know, they, they, and, and it's a, and it's a double, it's a double narrative. I have to go back, Lisa, and apologize. Did I misidentify it? Did I say Mark? I meant Henry. Oh yeah, I th I knew you meant Henry. Thank you, I appreciate that so much. He was very much like, you know, a central, you know, like a, just a very important piece of the story for me. Obviously, his journey kind of, you know, the dual timelines kind of take place in you know different different spaces. But like, you know, they I was just very and I and actually because of the way I write, I didn't even really know at the time how they were going to connect or how they connected. Oh, well, so it kind of unfolded for me in the same way that it does for my reader. Yeah, well, I think you did a wonderful job. Thank you. And I just thought it was just, oh, the concept of it, it was just fantastic. Thank you. So yes. how is it for you? So your process then, do you outline or do you have, do you, I mean, I guess the, I guess the question is always like, they say it like plotter versus pantser, but... I don't like the pantser thing because I think it sounds mean. It sounds like, oh, I just accidentally wrote this novel like by the seat of my pants. I think it's a little bit different. It's like, or you know, it's like organic versus, you know, like an organic versus like a plotter. I think an organic writer. Well, I think you know everybody has variations and is different. Um, for me, I guess I'd have to say I'm a plotter. That's how I got the first one done, the first one that was published, mm -hmm. and then. Um, for me, in my experience, it always was the, the publisher um, wanted an outline or a summary beginning, middle and end um, before they and they would purchase that in the contract, as you know. Um, uh, so that's how it started for me. And then, you know, I I know I know Jeff Deaver does a, a is very, very detailed uh, he does. Uh, outliner. Yes. Um, and I have. Yeah, I, I, I will plot and then um, it varies. You know, it, it does help me from time to time when I get off the beaten path. And many times I never look at it again. Right. Um, I would use the uh, the description of um, when you're planning a drive, say, from New York to California, um, there's the, there's you might map it out, but that's not the trip. <laughs> the trip is the trip. But you kind of have an idea where you're supposed to go. But what happens along the way, uh, that can be revelatory. But um, how about you? You say you you don't like the terms, but what works for you, Lisa? For me, it it ha I cannot have an outline. If I have an outline, then I don't want to write the story anymore mm. <laughs> because I write for the same reason that I read, you mm -hmm. know, because I want to know what's going to happen. But I've done some thinking about this because, you know, I feel like I feel like the process of writing the way I write and the process of somebody who might outline first. Like, I don't think it's that different. I think it just takes a lot longer <laughs> to write the novel than it does to write the outline and then go back and write the novel. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think it's a different yeah. process. I just yeah. think it's a different way. Like, you know, the plotter, I think, is able to create, like, the scaffolding, which I'm, is always very appealing to me. Like, you know, I wish that I could do that. I just can't work that way. I've tried. And um, I and, and like you have the scaffolding and then you create the building, but like I'm just I don't know I'm just building the building from the ground up. I don't have a scaffolding. I have to just go up one floor at a time. I think whatever works, you know. Uh, for, so, yeah. You know, we all have our own way of 
climbing that mountain. So whatever works, if you go that way and I go this way, whatever works for you is the perfect way for you. And um, yeah, I, I did. I have gone a few uh, pantsy ways uh, now and then. And that was kind of fun, kind of scary, kind of fun. Yeah, it is a little scary. It can be yeah. a scary. There's a yeah. lot of 3 a.m. wake ups for me. Like yeah. a lot of like waking up at 3 a.m. and being like, oh, that's it. <laughs> And many times uh, you go back to the outline, go, okay, yeah, that was good back then, but it doesn't help me now. And, uh, exactly, this is not going to get me out of the mess I'm in now. Yeah, or, <laughs> or conversely, it would be like, oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Right. So it's a variation, whatever really yeah. works. I think you, and I really just don't think, I don't think you can choose. I think you either work one way or you work the other way it's like kind of like almost like your circadian rhythm like you don't choose to be <laughs> night, you don't choose to be a night owl or a morning person yeah you just yeah. are that thing yeah you know i'm like an early morning writer i'm like you know as, as soon as like if i can just like basically if i can just wake up and roll in front of my computer like that is the best that is like literally my golden creative time is like from 5 a.m to noon which doesn't mean that I don't write at other times of the day. And sometimes I don't get the 5 a.m. I have a kid, a dog, and a husband, and a house, and, you know, life and all that. But mainly that's my, that mainly that's my, you know, my creative space. I try to, you know, um, protect that as much as I, as much as I can. But, like, that's, like, I don't think you choose that. Like, I have friends who are, like, you know, they don't write, they don't write most of the year and then they go away for a few months and they like in a house somewhere and they just write like nonstop for a few months and that's how they write their book. And I have other friends who like, you know, they, their golden time is like after everybody goes to bed, like the kids are asleep and now I can, I have two or three hours to, to work. So I don't think you like actually choose it. I think it kind of chooses you. I find, yeah, I agree. And I find it fascinating. I just love hearing about everyone's routines because again it's like plotting and pantsers and uh whatever works for everybody i'm going through an excellent biography called burning boy it's the biography of stephen crane oh. courage it's it's detailed it's excellent i really wow. recommend it as a writer and crane apparently um uh could write anywhere he could write in a room he could write at a party um he'd sit I in the like corner that too. And he could do that, and um, and probably because he was as a young uh, young man living in New York, he lived with a lot of other men in uh, tenement buildings to sh to keep the cost down because they were rather poor, and that's where he always wrote. And one heartwarming little moment, um, it was anecdotes from uh, those guys that were with him at the day, and he was writing Red Badge of Courage, scribbling away on his paper, and. Uh, and long after Crane had died, these other guys were writing their memoirs. You know, his literary um, status had been established. Um, and he said he could remember a specific day when Stephen was in. Steve was in the corner reading his book in progress, which was Red Bat, the Red Badge. And he just said to himself, "Oh, this is great." <laughs> I just so real, like the way he would, you know, you know. And we all have these days. You're reading your stuff. This is great. This is not great. <laughs> Terrible. This is. So I just, I just, I smiled, I laughed out loud. I thought he just came to life. And I love that biography of, uh, of him. Um, I just love reading about other authors and their routines throughout the years. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I agree. And, and that is, and that's such a, like a telling detail too, you know, like I am, um, and in and hearing about other authors and their, and their process is always, is always uh, so fascinating to me as well. But, you know, like, I feel like you know, I was out to I, I was out to dinner with a, a couple author friends of mine, and one author who, you know, um, shall remain shall remain nameless said something like, you know, there's I've never I've never done anything that I haven't been great at. <laughs> and, oh, okay. and, you know, and I was just like, wow. <laughs> What an amazing, <laughs> what an amazing thing to say! Like I honestly don't think I have ever had that thought or anything close to it. Like about myself, you know, I'm always such a brutal critic of my, you know, of my work. And then, you know, like I always have these, you know, I get into this relationship with my novel, you know. Yes, yes. And then I'll have this. Jennifer McMahon and I talk have talked about this too. Like you're in it, you're in it, you're in it, and then all of a sudden you're like. Oh my God! Why, why am I writing this? Like this, 
this is wrong. It doesn't work. You know, I, it's, it's all wrong. And then it's almost like your novel says, oh, okay, that's how you feel. Fine. Then get out. And it like kind of yeah. you out. And then I go, you know, I go downstairs to my husband. Like I have my, my office loft or whatever. I go downstairs to my husband. And I'm like, this is it. This book is all wrong. I can't do this anymore. I, it's horrible and I can't make it better. And he's like, I know. <laughs> have a cup of tea and just go back upstairs you'll be okay and i'm like no you don't understand this time i really mean it oh my gosh you know i i just about except for the person who's so great but, I, the, but it's just about every author has to go through this i think except for that one author yes except I think one, maybe <laughs> but i remember I remember reading a little comment by Stephen King in one of his books. Maybe it was on writing or maybe it was one of, one of the other nonfiction books or yeah. something. And he just said, you know, about the writing, the ups and downs. And he said when he started one day, he would say he was going back to the manuscript. Well, I wonder how the old fish smells today. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's pretty much a stinking thing I'm going to work on. <laughs> and I thought, exactly. okay. That's exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Yeah, and then yeah. I just feel like you go, you just go through. I was just, um, I've been fortunate this year to be. I was selected to uh, guest edit the uh, best American mystery and suspense anthology with the very talented Steph Cha, and I was able to like kind of go through um, uh, just some of the best short fiction that was written last year, and 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 help you know Steph's you know whittle it down to the final twenty. And I was writing my introduction and like in the introduction, I was talking about, you know, the different relationship between short, you know, like that I have with short fiction and the relationship that you have with your novel. It's like, it's like a marriage. It's like a long relationship. You have good days and bad days, you know, sorry, honey. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you, you know, you have like this kind of like hills and valleys and you have these like ecstatic surprises and you know, all the stuff. And it's like, you know, really it, the, the year or more that you spend with your novel, it really is like that. It's a, for me, at least it's a relationship, you know, and it's, you know, I, I always like sort of at my core, I always know we're going to get where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Um, I don't know, Flaubert or somebody, but anyway, I, 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 I hijack it with the, it begins the infatuation, the affair, and then the monster you're trying to escape. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what it be. And it's like, exactly. if you want to bury the thing, Right, then, exactly. It's like, where can I bury this and who will help me? Yeah. But, you know, and then, then it comes back to life when, when readers are discovering it. And that's, that's, yeah. there's a beautiful, that's just so beautiful when you're, you've moved on, you're a couple books down the road and people are coming back that this is good. This is great. And even with the earlier books and, uh, yeah. and, and you think, well, you know more about the character right now because you're with them than I right. can remember. Got to go back and check things and that sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. But, um, yeah, it's 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 quite uh, an interesting trip that we take. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's definitely uh, an interesting road. I can't imagine being on any other road, but it's certainly, you know, it's it's certainly got its its hills and, and valleys. You know, I was just I just had the opportunity to talk with um, at my um, at my alma mater, Eugene Lane College, which is the undergraduate division of the New School for Social Research in Manhattan. And uh, I talked to the creative to the creative writing students, you know, and we had this conversation about, um, you know, how do you get there from here? You know, I was a student at Eugene Lang. I was 19 years old when I started my first novel. Eventually, that would be my first book that got published, but it would take 10 years from that 19 year old self to the 29 year old self who published her first novel. So we spent a lot of time talking about that journey. So can you tell us a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about your journey? Like, were you always a writer? Was it something from childhood or? How oh, did you oh yeah. Yes. I think it was right back from the earliest days, that magic when stories are read to you and you're making that connection in your mind. And then I think it was in the first or second grade. Well, class, I can remember teaching that class, we're going to write a story and then you could make it up and, the magic that you could tell lies and I'm good at that yeah. and, then, and all of that. <laughs> exactly. so I, I think, and then as the years went on, whenever we had the creative writing element in any class and as I went through grades, I had stuff done already and I would just right. hand it and, and I did pretty good. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I, I was great at every one, but I did all right. 
And you were I, great at every single one. Every yes. single one. <laughs> you've so never I, been bad at anything. Everything you've done, you've been perfect at it. It's amazing. Put, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> 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 and this is this was like decades ago and i still well maybe not decades but a long time ago and i still puzzle over this like who is the person that thinks that about themselves i love it that's a character i love it um I just, yeah, but yeah. i was always writing so i knew i was going to write and in the early days of my young miss misguided days where I didn't have a clue. Um, I didn't know which way I was going to go and how I was going to, but I thought I'm going to write anyway. And uh, I took a few years off and got married, but went off to school and I took journalism thinking, because I came from a small town, that that's the the traditional path that a lot of writers went. Yeah, you know, became reporter. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so it all came together for me. I think, you know, when I was done university, I was on the night cop's desk. I said, now's the time. And I was starting, Laura Littman was just coming out then, Michael Conley was coming out then, so I was mm -hmm. reading reporters who were writing good stuff. Yeah. And then what had happened, I was also reading people who would have reporter characters and then working in the business, and this would be true of any profession. Sure. Uh, you know, lawyers who are reading legal thrillers written by people who know nothing about the law. Right. That's, so I thought, you know, well, I think I could find my way in the middle, and that's how it all yeah. started. And, um, got an agent first. But I was working, and then when the manuscript was done, took me a few years, got an yeah. agent, and then it happened, and I was happy. I can remember that day when yeah. um, my wife contacted me in the newsroom, said, you, we had a little fax machine then, that uh, Millie in New York just sent a fax, you have an offer, call me, and I was supposed to be reporting in the newsroom, so I called her, and I said, look, she said, yes, we have an offer from, uh, I think, Kensington. Uh, I said, before you say another word, Millie, can I buy a new car? Or can I get my brakes fixed? <laughs> and she said, you can get your brakes fixed. <laughs> and my feet didn't touch the ground after that. You know what it's like. It's like, oh, my I God. Do. I do. I do. I think of that day a lot. You know, like, I remember, so I was like, you know, I was in college when I was wrote my first novel. But when I graduated, like, I just didn't have the confidence to pursue that, you know, that dream, you know, like I had a very conservative upbringing. My dad was like, yeah, that's not a real job. Do something else. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I trying to figure out like what I could do after spending my entire education focused on writing and literature. And uh, I well, naturally I went into publishing, you know, and I spent the next almost 10 years working, working in publishing, working in publicity. And, uh, but during the time I was like, you know, I was also writing, you know, I was always, always trying to, always trying to write. And, uh, I, um, I, I wound up getting, a, there was a, there was a newspaper up in my, in my neighborhood in Riverdale, which is in the Bronx. And, um, they had this like kind of, you know, sort of iconic newspaper called the Riverdale press. Like it's been around forever and ever and ever. And uh, I just wanted to write for them, right? Like I, you know, I had just my journalism classes. I had written for the school paper and stuff like that. I just kept every week. I would just write to this editor and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm available. Here's my clips." You know, like I just kept doing. It. And I think like after, you know, I think like after about like five or six months, the guy just like felt sorry for me. He was just like, <laughs> "Oh my god, I I have to give this girl something to write." So I wrote, and I remember distinctly, he sent me to this Seder dinner, this is in the Bronx, of Russian Jewish immigrants. It was their first Seder dinner in the U.S. after coming to coming from Russia. And so I went to their event and hung out with them and wrote a piece, and it wound up on what they call their second front page, which is like where they do their big feature. And I, I got paid like 25 bucks for it. Whoa. <laughs> right? And I, I remember seeing my name, like running to the newsstand, like the morning I knew it was going to be in the paper and running to the newsstand and like standing on the street in the Bronx and opening the, the newspaper and being like, seeing my name in print and being like, oh my God, I think I can, I think I can do this. I, I think I can do it. And so that was like the point where like I kind of had my epiphany about the mistakes I had been making in my life and decided to get really serious. And that was when I when I finished my first novel. Um, but I remember very distinctly too getting called by Elaine Markson, who was my my first agent and, you know, 
was my agent until she she passed away and she was like my first champion and my friend and I remember her saying I you know calling me on the phone and you know being like I, I want to you know I want to represent you and I was like okay I was like so <laughs> let me just ask you one question if you if you don't sell my first novel which I had already written you know and I had no expectation that she was going to sell it I was like if you don't sell my first novel are you still my agent because i'm writing another <laughs> one and she was like yes she's like i am your agent i was like oh my god okay great and she did broker that first deal with saint martin's press it was a two book contract you know the book i had written and the one that i was writing and it was a hardcover and i was like it was like a nickel and a cheese sandwich or something like that it was like a don't quit your day job yeah <laughs> Fortunately, I had already quit my day job, but <laughs> that's the unabridged version. But yeah, that feeling like, you know, oh my God, I told her, I was like, I don't care. I don't care what they pay. I, I would have done it for free. And she was like, I never want to hear you say that again. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> She's like, don't ever say those words again. I'm like, okay. And it was like, you know, beyond, you know, beyond exciting and, you know, just the yeah. dream come true for sure. It is, it is quite a thing, as all published writers will know for the first time. But now let me take you back to the next stage. It's that um, when you first saw the first book in a bookstore, how was that? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable mind blow, right? Like, I remember, like, having that, like, going into, I think it was, this is interesting because I was just talking to Sarah Weinman about this. There was a bookstore underneath my agent's office so my agent her office was on greenwich and underneath it there was a bookstore called partners in crime which is like one of the iconic first like you know one of the iconic mystery bookstores mystery independence and that's where i had my very first book signing and that's where i met sarah weinman she was reminding me when we were talking the other day was she was working she was going to john jay college and she was working in the bookstore at the time and at the time which is so so cool right and um i remember seeing my like that stack of books and like seeing it on the shelf you know new mystery or whatever and just being like you know just overwhelmed by that feeling of of gratitude you know and honestly i had never stopped having that feeling you know like when when that box arrives you know and the books are there you know, the book that you wrote, you spent a year with it. And like, cause I feel like even now when I'm writing, like I a lot of times forget <laughs> that it's going to be a book, you know, like even though I know it's going to be a book, I just forget that it's going to go out there into the world. And every time I open that box and see that hardcover book or whatever book, and I'm just like blown away by that. I'm just, you know, I'm just blown away that like the thing that I want, I wanted to do since I was a little kid is you know the way i earn my living now which is just such a blessing the magic i think of that those moments never really will, will ever go away no. uh, especially too if you see some a stranger out in in the wild reading your book yeah that's, sort that's of, always fun <laughs> the thrill to um all of that yeah yeah and you do count your blessings and you count uh you you know you realize how fortunate you are um, to be able to do what we do and to see yeah. the, see the, uh, the realization of that dream and, uh, yeah. and the, the physicality of it all and, and yeah. the messages you get from readers, um, that are, uh, that just, you know, blow you away yeah. as well. All of that. It's all, yeah. it's all quite nice. And, yeah. um, and it just, it just makes you want to do, uh, a better job each time out. I think, that, I think all of us do. We just want to say, well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Every that's what time. Yeah. And I tell uh, uh, relatives who my books, they said, what you always say is this is your best book to date. Every book is supposed to be your best book. Every book. It should be. It better yeah. be. This better be my best book. That's right. Because you're great at everything you do. Exactly. Like <laughs> all the other books that I wrote, which were also the best. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Every single one. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might be better off with that kind of attitude than like being racked by self doubt. But like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you choose that either. 
I don't. But I, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I don't think you get to pick that. I just love that story, Lisa. I just love it. <laughs> I, I never stopped. I never stopped puzzling about that. Like it just never. It's never resolved for me. I'm sure it's going to turn up somewhere. It's just great. It's like a sitcom character. <laughs> But I have to say, I'm going to pause right now and just throw all kinds of roses and glory your way on all the congratulations. I mean, the Goodreads list came out for, for last year. Congratulations on that. But uh, Thank you. Uh, it, your uh, Confessions was picked. And then um, the Netflix uh, story coming with uh, Jennifer Alba. Congratulations on that. And, and so many other things. So, so very good. Very nice. And, <laughs> and so well deserved. <laughs> it's thank you so much that's so kind and you know I just feel like it's always you know it's funny because like I, I I talk to a lot of aspiring writers all the time you know and I try to tell them you know the truth about the writing life you know as much as possible like not to not to scare them off like the truth about the writing life is that you know unfortunately it's not all roses and glory you know most of us know you know you kind of start from the bottom like and work your way up right hopefully like your first reviews like just a couple of them and then like maybe you have you know like a book signing where like you know your grandma comes or like whatever it is and we all yeah. most of us kind of start there like people want to make it sound like most, i think a lot of writers want to make it sound like they sprung from the head of zeus in full armor you know and it was like I was a bestseller out the gate and never looked back, you know, and like, I guess that's probably, maybe that's true for a couple of people. Like, I don't know, I can think of maybe four or five people that that might be true for, but most of us start, you know, at like anything else that you want to do well, you start at a certain level and you kind of hopefully work your way up. Um, but I always tell my, my aspiring writers that like, you know, you can look at every, every writer that you admire today right you can look at every bestseller every award winner you know anything that you look to as a marker for success and you can you can just be sure that at one person at one time that person except for the one person that we just talked about <laughs> one time that person was in a room somewhere with a manuscript that he or she wasn't sure was good enough to get published and everybody starts there, you know, and so that means that it's available for everyone, but that the writing contract, the publishing contract is, you know, it's not always a windfall. Um, a lot of times it's just an open door to the writing life. And if you want to walk through that door and succeed, then you will need to roll up your sleeves and check your ego and get to work. Yeah. The, the, the contract might be validation, but it's also a business dealing. And I tell exactly. them, you know, um, there's a price tag on your product in the end. There's a barcode. So you're out there. And, you know, how and you it's approach a business. it. It's a business. I, and I, I would often say at panels and things, um, you know, look at any profession. So, you know, if the, the guy that's going to fix your car or the woman that's going to fix your car comes and goes, well, I'm not feeling it today, you know, um, that yeah. sort of thing. Ah. But you do have Okay, it is a creative process, but you do, you know, or if the surgeon who's about to put you under says, you know, exactly. um, just the muse didn't uh, come for me today. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, it's as what uh, uh, my colleague Linwood Barkley, you know, it's you know, ass in the chair. You know, it's like a plumber. Yeah. You show up, you do the job, and and we all know, um, I guess, as professionals, is that even if you're having a real rough time in your life mm -hmm. or whatever, life does get in the way. You're okay. all twenty four seven on the book. So if you're yeah. If you sit down and you can't really produce a word, you're still working. You're thinking about it. The wheels are turning. Uh -huh. You know, the, fa the, the factory machinery might have been put into neutral, but the noise is still going on. It's, that's right. You know, and then it's going to back into gear and away you go. So that's all yeah. part of it. So, you know, we all know the ups and downs and the routines and, and all of that. Right. But it's work. In the end, it's work. And I tell everybody, too, I mean, whatever helps you you know, people have different opinions on writing groups and writing retreats and all of that. Uh, and I'm not casting any criticism on it, but in the end, it's always just you. It's just it's you. Just and you. Yeah, it's just you. Um, the doubts, the and you, you cheer yourself up, you knock yourself down. That's all part of it. And uh, that's mm -hmm. the way. So. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is the other thing that I talked to you about with, uh, you know, with the, uh, the creative writers at Eugene Lang, 
was like, you know, it's really about setting a schedule and honoring that schedule in the way that you would honor anything else that's important to you. You know, like you can, if you set aside time and you start to train your brain, and it is about training your brain um, to be available for creativity, you know, every morning from five to whatever you have at that, whatever stage you're at in your life. I'm a professional full-time writer, so that's my job. But if it's not, when it wasn't, I still had those hours, you know, I tell my aspiring writers all the time, like you, there are two hours that nobody in the world wants. And those hours are from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> nobody wants you, right? <laughs> so like, if you have those hours and you, you're you dedicated enough to set them aside and you honor that schedule, you yeah. will be amazed how often creativity meets you there. And if yeah. not, at least you're touching the you're touching the novel. You're in the you're in the characters. You're thinking. You're even if you don't write a sentence, or a page, or a word, you have connected with the work, and that is in itself, you know, a, a you know part of the work, right? Like that's part of the the process. So, you know, like it's just about set, setting that time and and honoring the schedule and not you know when you have two hours if you have two hours to set aside for yourself in the early mornings or on the weekends and then you spent it like looking at funny cat videos or like facebook stalking your ex like the truth <laughs> is that you just didn't care enough about yeah, your book exactly to work on it so exactly. i mean that's discipline you know it's discipline to think of them as bills to be paid and um uh, uh, we've all heard that expression, but I want to take to another a whole other aspect to it, yeah. and because I can never forget, it's the supportive family. Because oh, sometimes yeah. when I had to, um, when I was working full time and writing full time, mm -hmm. in a way, um, yeah, there was a price to be paid. You know, there were times when my wife would take the kids out, and I'd want to go with them, but you know, or I wasn't going to get done. Yeah. So there was a there was a burden that was put on my family, and they were very right. supportive. And I don't mean it in a negative way. Right. I mean it just be part of our life, but I, I, I appreciated that um, I was not there. You know, I was down, mm -hmm. down in the mm -hmm. basement where my office is and working away. So, um, yeah, I think every author, too, knows that. that yeah. uh, it becomes a small uh, corporation. Uh, and it, it has does. To be supportive. And th that's not always the case. We've all heard the stories where things can get kind of strained depending on right. uh, where you are and what things are going on in your life. But um, that's another element. It's not all just me, 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 I'm so great. Uh, there's a there's a team behind you. <laughs> that is for sure, you know. My and my husband um, Jeff is like, you know, he's like my ultimate 100% partner in crime. And my dog Jack Jack, who's like whining right now, he's like my writing buddy. Um, but he, um, like Jeff, you know, Jeff and I made decisions like kind of early on in the process. Like, you know, he, you know, my dreams kind of became his dreams. And, you know, as soon as we could afford for him to come home and work for the corporation, <laughs> meaning me, you know, as soon as we could afford to do that, you know, he came home and he's been in this, we've been working together in this way for um, 15 years now. And we always divided our day, you know, like, or tried to at least because like, you know, I, of course, I'm the favorite parent. So Ocean always wants <laughs> Ocean always wanted to be with me, but the uh, the the setup was, I write in the mornings, you know, and he's on with our daughter. Now she's seventeen, and she couldn't care less where we are, what we're doing. But like back then, when she did still care, you know, we I was on. He, I was working in the morning. I was writing in the morning, and then you know lunchtime, you know, he would come do the the work of you know all the other stuff that he did for the corporation, and then I was with our daughter. And we, you know, we made sacrifices to make sure that, that that was possible, that we could, and then we always took her on the road with me everywhere we went, every book to work, she came, which yeah. also meant that my husband had to come and my parents. <laughs> it was like the worst entourage that ever existed, like the worst, most needy, clingy entourage you ever saw. However... <laughs> It it didn't work at all, but of course it did work, and I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it any other way. Um, but like that, you know, kind of, you know, if if not for him being willing and able, 
and you know wanting to have my dreams become his dreams like i just i don't think i could have done it i mean i don't think i could have i think so, i as we were talking about the writing itself that is what we've just discussed is the is the extended part of the process you yeah. have to have a support system um, yeah other element because without yeah. it it just becomes even a, a greater challenge and uh yeah and we all know the stories of like you know marriages that fall apart or people didn't you know didn't feel that they could be there for their kids or whatever yeah. but i feel like you know because my husband was you know willing and able to like turn this thing into like a mom and pop operation which is basically what it is here um <laughs> that we were able to we were able to you know to be present and still do you know still allow me to follow my dreams which is you know not an easy not an easy balancing act so what you got commonly so let's talk about down the road um uh, where are you in what book that we don't know about now and okay so let's see let's see, <laughs> let's see if i can piece it all together so yes. the book that will publish march 2024 which I'm not ready to talk about yet, but let's just, let's suffice it to say that it's psychological suspense and like bad things happen. Let's just put it out there. I'm sold already. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That'll come out March, 2024. Okay. And of course, um, you know, any, anybody who, who follows me in social media, I'm very, very easy to find updates forthcoming for that. I'm currently at work on the 2025 book because that's how it goes right we're always like a year a year ahead and this year um you know in october my um my the i was the guest editor for the best american mystery and suspense so that will come out in october and also in october i i wrote i wrote a little christmas novella ah. called christmas presents and i'm gonna be i'm gonna be announcing it officially um i think on april 15th is the announcement and the cover reveal and and all that stuff so yeah i wrote a little uh, a little christmas novella for um serious press and so that's going to be coming out Congratulations. so yeah so that'll be my and then um yeah and then we'll be rolling into the the new novel in march uh 2024 so you know just wow, keep you're busy. click clacking away over you're here so, so busy and congratulations on the anthology on the novella Thank wow. you, thank you. What about you? So this, uh, every oh, I don't need to hold it up because nobody can see us. But everything she hears <laughs> comes I out like <laughs> comes uh, out um, on April 11th, and is it simultaneous U.S. and Canadian release? Yes, yeah. simultaneous U.S. and Canada. And I just got the email that it's a Amazon pick uh, for April, so I was happy. Congratulations! To see Not surprised at all. Not surprised. Excellent. Um, and I know uh, my agent will be uh, discussing at the London Book Fair in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, that is coming up. For, for foreign rights as well. So. For foreign and, rights, yeah. And, and so are you on the road? Are you touring? Is there... No, probably not. Um, mm -hmm. oh, I don't think so. I don't, I'm not aware of any plans. And I'm kind of reluctant to, I'm that yeah. kind of shy. But um <laughs> uh, and uh, we had our, our our grandson, our first grandchild was born in September, and we, we visited, they live in Halifax, the other part of the country, but um, we have company coming at the end of this month. So I'm I'm working on my 24 book. Okay. Uh, third draft right now. So okay. <laughs> that, that's due, the, the deadline for that is before my grandson comes to visit. So Okay, good. So you're, you're rushing him. You're, you're, be, you're racing him to the deadline. That's right. He's five months old and uh, oh. I want to have time to play with him. I don't want to be working on a manuscript while he's here. Exactly. So, exactly. so that's the best inspiration right there. So yeah, exactly. that is uh, the one I'm working on now as a psychological thriller. Bad things happen. Uh, yeah. That's all I'll say for now. Hey, I did a lot of me. <laughs> did, did a lot of research on that one, um, and uh, we're just going back. I'm just going back with all kinds of notes from my immediate circle. I have a circle before I submit it to my editor, awesome. and uh, and making it better. You know, agreeing with some of them, wincing at some. You know how it is with the notes and stuff. Totally. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to fix that. Can't fix that. I don't agree with that. Exactly. No, that's true. And there have been many a time when I'm uh, working away in silence and uh, a family member will show up. I keep the, I keep it dark in my office in the mornings and, when I'm in, and they're there and they're saying, we have to go. 
something's up. Okay, stop work. Tools down, as they say. <laughs> Off you go. Yeah. yeah. And I can remember, now you got me going down memory lane of the, the kids. Um, my wife is superb at uh, mathematics. Oh, nice. I am not. And she, <laughs> kids would come to me. I have to write an essay on Charles Dickens' dad. Will you help me? <laughs> yes. And I, okay, well, what do you think this story means? And I'll read the book with them. What do you think they're trying to say here? And exactly. That was, exactly. Always, that was always fun. But. Yeah. Same with Jeff is also like a math and numbers person. And Ocean is so far beyond me now in math. It's like ridiculous. She doesn't even like, there's nothing. I, I have nothing to offer. That's like zero. <laughs> Like the way I help her with math is like, okay, teach me how to do it. Yes. You know, teach me how to do it, and that's how you help yourself solidify your your learning. It usually it usually works, although I'm a terrible study when it comes to math. <laughs> Mom, pay attention. Oh, sorry. That's right. Dad does the words. Mom does the numbers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's so cool. Um, well, it's been so great talking to you. I feel oh. like we could probably talk for another. I think feel like we could probably talk for another hour. I love. And maybe we will. We should talk someplace else and do this again. I love this. Well, I'll I'll be coming. I hope you're going to be at Thriller Fest. Um, I will be. You know me, yeah. co-pres. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there with bells on, doing all the doing all the things, taking selfies. <laughs> Well, I'll be there. Um, I, uh, I think when I think back, I think that is the next event for me, which is coming up pretty fast. Yeah, it is coming really? up really fast. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. So, yeah, let's definitely make sure we get some yeah. good time together. Yeah, and BoucherCon um, in San Diego, maybe. Um, I know Possibly. that one. Possibly. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to uh, to those events. It should be okay. fun. Um, I can't thank you enough for agreeing so quickly to do this. So I know you're busy and I know you're traveling and I thought, okay, maybe Lisa just won't have time, but thank you. I, this is I'm so glad I'm, I loved it. I love your book. Oh. I'm holding it up again. Cause I'm just, that's my habit. Yes. Um, but yes, it's excellent. And I'm sure your readers are going to be, be absolutely thrilled. And I'm sure you're going to, you know, get even more readers and continue to grow and succeed. I mean, you're such an inspiration. So I know that that is going to continue to be true. Well, you just, you know, I'll be walking on clouds now. Thanks, Lisa. And continued <laughs> success to you. I'll be watching for everything. Um, Thank you. And I just, you're just, you're just great. You're, you're great at everything you do. <laughs> I'm great at everything all the time. Let's end there. That's right. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you. Off the mic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about our other episodes. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment.